Welcome to a long overdue episode of Swimmer's Ear. It's been five months since I last updated uh, the podcast and I am living in a new city, working for a new club in a completely new role to me. And it has been a stressful journey to say the least. Um, When I left British Columbia, I had to pack as many of my belongings, including my dog, (laughs) into my little hatchback. And uh, it took me 40 hours, like five days driving at least eight hours a day to, uh, to move to my new location in Ontario. So that alone was stressful. And then arriving and kind of getting situated and learning how the club runs and finding my place within the club has been a process that is continuing. It's not over yet. We're still very much in a stage where I'm learning about the club, learning about the executive, learning about the members, the swimmers, their parents, and all of that stuff. And it's going to take a while to kind of get my footing here. That said, it's been getting smoother and smoother month by month. Like I said, it's been five months now, and I've been to an absolute ton of swim meets. I think I've been to more meets in the last five months than I attended in the entirety of last season, which is crazy to me. (laughs) But that's what you do, right? That's the job. You prepare the kids to perform, and then you have to go and watch them perform. And that happens in a lot of different places. I've been to Toronto more times than I can even recall at this point. And prior to moving here, I think I'd been to Toronto twice. (laughs) So it's been very exciting. Now... I haven't been uploading episodes largely because of the kind of stress and the whirlwind that it's all been over the last few months. Um, And like I said, I have been out of town a lot too. So it's kind of hard to carve out half an hour to an hour on a weekend to record an episode when I'm out of town most weekends. You know, I think I've, I can count on one hand how many weekends I have had at home. (laughs) So it's been tough in that respect, but it's also been kind of tough to decide on what kind of content I want to be creating because I no longer coach 12 and under swimming. I facilitate other coaches to coach 12 and under swimming, but I'm working with seniors now which has long been a dream of mine. And I love that I get to do that. Um, But the identity of this podcast was very much wrapped up in how to coach young athletes. And I'm not sure if that is the direction I can continue to keep going. I would like to keep going in that direction because I think that it's a niche that is not covered a lot in uh, swimming content. You know, we very much love to talk about high performance swimmers and what their training is like, and, you know, what the coaching methods, uh, which coaching methods rather are most effective for those athletes. But I think that the 12 and under athlete is the future high performance athlete. So knowing how to kind of develop them and get them set up with a strong base of swimming ability is really important. And if I can help contribute in any way to the future of swimming in that regard, I would love to continue to do that. So I'm in a refocusing period, I guess you could say. 
I'm, I've still got a massive list of topics for the podcast that I would love to get through. And I plan on doing that. I would love to get back into the swing of it and get back talking with coaches and determining what needs to be talked about to kind of make us all a little bit better at doing what we do. So as always, I am very open to hearing suggestions. And to be honest, I don't get a lot of suggestions. Uh, the, the podcast, I know you're going to be shocked, <laughs> is not widely listened to. Um, I average a couple dozen listens per episode, if that. And, uh, and so people are not super into kind of um, engaging with me, I guess, just because it is such like a small, a small podcast, not widely received, that kind of thing. But I really do want to hear from you. I want to know what your 12 and under staff struggles with that I could help with. If I could help, (laughs) I can do the research for you into whatever you need, you need done. I'm happy to do that. And I just want to make sure that there's a lasting resource available for people. I always listen to podcasts on my way to meets, on my way to practice, and that kind of thing. And it kind of gets me in a great mindset to to coach really well. So I'm hoping that this can act kind of as, you know, a coaching activation, if you will. Rather than getting our muscles and joints geared up for practice as athletes, we're getting our minds... Uh, running properly before we walk out on deck and put a workout up on the board. So I'm thinking let's talk this week a little bit about creating a practice for 12 and unders. So my general process has always been to plan practices based on a season plan that looks at when swim meets are happening and working backwards from those meets. Like, you know that there are certain times of year that you're going to want kids to perform to their best, you know? And we need to kind of work backwards from when those meets are for that reason. So if you know you have a meet, you know, beginning of December, you want to spend the last week maybe for 12 and under swimmers kind of tapering not really tapering but just kind of taking it a little bit easier but going really fast in that final week before a meet the two weeks before that maybe three weeks before that you want to be absolutely destroying them with meters and with intensity get them really overloaded, get them really working hard. Um, If you were a weightlifter, you'd call it your bulking phase. (laughs) You want to absolutely load on as much as you possibly can, get them swimming as much as possible in preparation for that final week before competition where they're going to go a lot less intense. Well, not less intense, but less volume very, very fast. And before that period of overload, you're basically just going to build up their aerobic capacity for, you know, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, however long you've got. So in terms of the practices themselves, I, I have never really been a big fan of like a blocked warm up. 
I just think that it can be an enormous waste of time. We, we pay a lot for pool space. At least we do up here. Um, every team that I've worked for, we've paid quite a lot for pool space, you know, and to kind of get the kids to jump in the pool and do a standard, you know, 200 freestyle, 200 kick, 200 pull, 200 IM drill every single day. What are they really gaining from that? As coaches in 2019, I think that at this point, we're all very aware of the importance of activation, which happens on the pool deck typically. So the kids are already essentially getting their joints ready. They're getting their muscles ready. They're getting their heart rate up a little bit. So I feel like you don't need to spend as much time accomplishing those very same goals in the first 20 minutes of your swim practice. Time is money. (laughs) So let's spend it getting our money's worth, you know? So rather than setting up a little block of warm-up time, why not jump right into whatever lesson you're trying to teach for that day? Better yet, set them up with something that they did the previous day. So, you know, if on a Monday you worked a lot on fly, really hammered in a lot of fly drills, um, the next day start out with some fly. I'm not saying let's hop in, do 200 fly. I'm saying let's do, you know, 1225s with a snorkel going one fly kick, two single arm fly, dragging their thumb over the surface, and then a 25 fly all out. So you go through that pattern three times for 12 25s. Then they're going to take their gear off. Maybe they'll do 200 free going uh, three underwater fly kicks off the walls for the first 50, then four, then five, then six, just kind of building up that kick a little bit. But now we're transferring into a different focus for the workout. You know, we're, we're, we're transferring into some freestyle, into maybe some aerobic work. And then after that, uh, continue with the leg focus. We've done some underwaters now, so maybe let's get on our legs a little bit more. We'll go 650s, descending one to three twice kicking on a board um, just to get them moving and uh, get their legs kind of primed for whatever main set you've got planned for that day. So that would be my general plan for a warm up, And then whatever you've got for a main set, just go for it. Push them, push them hard, get them, get them working pretty hard for, you know, two thirds of their practice time and then cool them down with some new skills that you're going to touch on during the main set the following day. So like I said, at the top of this practice, we carried over some fly from Monday. Tuesday, let's say we're focused on IM turns, maybe uh, high stroke rate breaststroke. Maybe let's finish off on some backstroke, working rotation. We'll do some back drills to cool down. The next day, main set's going to be backstroke focused, largely touching on that rotation piece and then moving on to whatever other skills you want to, you want to work, you know, like a deep catch, a bent elbow pull, anything like that. So that would be my, my basic practice planning methodology, but to get a little bit more into detail, there are all of these concepts of practice planning that I feel they don't teach us in coaching certification, but they do teach in 
exercise physiology classes and stuff like that. So we talk about um, effective practice planning and we talk five main concepts. So you can do massed practice or distributed practice, blocked or random, constant or variable, part or whole, and then non-specific or specific. So massed practice would mean working on one skill for an entire training session, like doing a full 90 minutes of freestyle kick. Blocked practice would mean working on one skill at a time within a training session. So 10 minutes of freestyle, then 10 minutes of backstroke, 10 minutes of breaststroke, 10 minutes of butterfly. Constant practice means using the exact same conditions for all training. So this is kind of like your rec swimmer who comes in, swims a kilometer, never changes pace, swims the exact same stroke, no rest, all of that kind of thing. That's constant practice. Part practice means splitting the skill into its base parts and working on them individually. So like spending a full set doing right arm only backstroke. That would be part practice. You're focused on the right arm pull. And then finally, non-specific practice refers to training that is completely different than performance. So if you were only doing long, slow paced technical work and never doing race pace in practice, never doing starts, never doing turns, never doing like race simulation type sets, that would be non-specific practice. So those five ones that I've just gone into detail about, you want to avoid those as much as possible. You don't want to spend an entire practice doing freestyle kick. You don't want to have the predictability within your, within your workout of 10 minutes freestyle, 10 minutes backstroke, 10 minutes breaststroke, 10 minutes butterfly. You don't want blocked practice. You don't want them doing constant practice. It's basically steady state cardio. You see these people at the gym all the time. They get on a treadmill, they run at, you know, eight miles per hour for an hour. And they wonder why they don't get faster or they don't lose weight. It's because it's constant practice. You're not gaining anything from it. Part practice. Why would you want them working only one part of the sport? You know, that that's akin to a basketball player only ever doing free throws. I bet they'd get super good at free throws, but if you can't run fast or if you can't pass, you can't do any other skills related to the sport. You spend so much time just working that one skill. It's no good. You're not going to be like a good addition to the team and you're not going to advance athletically. And then non-specific practice, it's just about preparedness. Uh, you, you don't avoid doing starts and turns and finishes and, swimming race pace and stuff, because then when you get to a swim meet, how are you expecting to do well? You know, you haven't worked a bunch of the fundamental skills that are required for that performance. So in an ideal world, all coaches would strive for a distributed, random, variable, whole, and specific practice. So the human brain it learns best when synapses are given a workout. So in addition to working out like your muscle fibers, you know, your joints, all of that, you need to give your brain a workout as well. So randomizing and distributing skills throughout training plans and sessions works incredibly well. So to achieve the best possible training for your athletes, especially 12 and unders whose brains are just 
they're, they're capable of so much more than an adult brain because they're still growing. They've got a much better capacity for learning. You need to do this. Okay. So set some goals with the kids, whatever their goals are, set up their meets in your calendar, work backwards, like I said, and then create your workouts. The exact opposite of how I just described the worst case scenario, you know, so distributed practice, uh, work different strokes, different days, work all strokes every day if you want. Um, rather than putting 10 minutes of freestyle, 10 minutes of backstroke, 10 minutes of breast, 10 minutes of fly, spread them out within your workout. Maybe you do a two minute freestyle set and then an eight minute breaststroke set, repeat it, then go into, you know, an IM set with some breaststroke after do three rounds of that and so on. Just randomize it as much as you possibly can so that the brain is working in a bunch of different ways, repeating tasks after brief breaks, and then going back to things to recall them again. We, we know that this works largely because of study practices. Uh, neuroscientists have this whole theory on how best to study and it's not to sit down with your face in a textbook for six hours. It's to take one class you're doing, study your notes, cross-reference to your textbook for about 15 minutes, switch to a completely different subject for another 15 minutes, and then go back to that original topic for a little while just to see if you can remember what you were doing. It's a lot like working out in the gym. You know, you might do let's say, you know, 20 bicep curls and then your arms get tired. So you switch to doing squats and then your legs get tired. So you go on to uh, an ab exercise. So you can tell how much time I spend in the gym, right? <laughs> and then once you get too tired to continue doing that, maybe you'll go back to biceps, then back to squats, then back to abs and, and so on. You've got you've to give those different muscle groups a break in between sets to just recover a little teeny bit. And then you're going to work them again. And you, you leave the workout feeling stronger and having accomplished a little bit more. And the brain works basically identically. You know, you gotta, you gotta work one thing. Maybe you're, you're studying psychology a little bit, then you take a little break and you do some math and then you take a little break and you do some biology and then maybe you go back to psychology again and so on. It's a pretty simple concept and it applies to swimming as well. Um, the mind controls the body. So when you're doing freestyle, your brain is working in one way to accomplish all the movements of freestyle. And then if you switch to breaststroke kick, that's a whole different set of skills technically in terms of how the brain works. So if you keep randomizing it, uh, you should be able to accomplish more. So um, when you're looking at constant versus variable practice, a a lot of uh, coaches would consider this to mean that you should change pace times a lot. And that's, that's the easiest possible way you could go about kind of varying practice. I made the allusion to steady state cardio, the whole like rec swimmer or 
gym goer who runs on the treadmill at the same pace for the same amount of time every single day. Um, yeah, constant practice doesn't work. You got to do some sprints. You got to do some slow stuff. You've got to do kick. You've got to do pull. You've got to do all that stuff. You've got to mix it up. Just like I mentioned within the random practice explanation. Park practice. This is one that's difficult to accomplish in swimming. We, we would prefer that people speaking generally in terms of skill acquisition for sport, we would prefer whole practice. So if you play soccer, honestly, the best way to learn to play soccer is to scrimmage, play three aside, play five aside, play small court, play full court, whatever you need to do. Um, but you, you learn best and you apply your skills best when you train in a simulated kind of environment. Um, you wouldn't just practice kicking at the net from one particular spot on the field over and over and over again, because you never know when you're going to get the ball. You know, it's the same kind of idea for hockey. You never know where the puck's going to come from, where you're going to be when you get it. You don't know what the other players on the field are doing. But the thing about swimming is it's an individual sport. So it's not like we're playing off each other in practice. It's we're playing off of the functions of our own bodies. So part practice in swimming tends to be, like I mentioned before, swimming single arm freestyle for extended periods of time. You're only working on your right arm. You're only working on what that one arm can accomplish. And that's that tends to not lend itself very well to uh, performance. You know, you're never going to dive in for a race and then ferociously go at a single arm freestyle, you know? So getting kids to swim full stroke tends to be the ideal scenario. Now, when we're learning, when we're working with 12 and under athletes, that's kind of hard to do. Think butterfly, think 10 year old. (laughs) I, I absolutely do not want to watch a whole group of 10 year olds attempt to do full butterfly for any uh, considerable length of time. You're going to get soaking wet, standing on the side of the pool, watching them do that. Uh, their stroke is going to break down really, really quickly, and it's just going to look terrible. And when you swim poorly, you're essentially training for that type of technique. So part versus whole practice, you kind of have to take with a grain of salt. You tend to be able to do a lot more whole practice as swimmers get older because they're able to swim for longer periods of time holding their stroke Um, to their best ability. So they get a lot more out of it. But part practice, pretty useful for teaching kids to swim for like very basic skill acquisition for young swimmers. So, you know, do with that what you will. And then it's it's similar for specific practice as well. Um, If we were to take the specific versus non-specific practice argument um, to heart really strongly, we would basically only do swim meets (laughs) or we'd only do time trials or workouts would always be, you know, dive fifties, dive one hundreds, dive two hundreds at pace. 
And I think that that kind of defeats the purpose of every other type of practice that we've discussed to this point. So it's definitely important to put specific practice in, but non-specific practice is fine as well, especially in what we call physiological sports like swimming, individual sports where it's the movement of the body that is the, the main focus of the sport. Like we do relays and stuff, but it, it's really about you, the individual controlling your body to achieve uh, the best swimming that you can. It's a similar concept to running track, um, skiing, sports like that. So do what you can. Make things as varied as possible. It also just keeps uh, kids focused a little bit better. I know that as a kid, I had a particular coach who would always just give us pyramids. And I think pyramids have a place in swim training, but I don't think that place is every single day and going from 25 up to 400 and back down again in 25 meter intervals. I am not kidding. That actually happened. It was terrible. We all left that practice. It was just a disaster. So do what you can. Do lots of different skills. Do lots of rounds of different sets tied together. Do callbacks to previous things you've done in previous practices during the week. Do lots of race simulation. Why not? It's fun. It keeps kids engaged. But... That's all I've got for you today. I just wanted to briefly kind of check in, let you know that I have not died or disappeared. I'm still around. You can find the podcast on proswimworkouts.com. You can use the code SWIMMERSEAR, all one word, for a discount on a subscription to that website. Now that I'm working with seniors, some I coach a lot more practices per week than I was when I was coaching 12 and unders, and I do find myself running out of ideas sometimes. I get writer's block, essentially. So I just log into Pro Swim Workouts, and I look up the archives, find a workout that fits within my uh, yearly training plan, and I often just take the main set. Sometimes I take the whole workout. Sometimes I piece different workouts together just to give my swimmers a little something different. And it always goes over really well. I have yet to use a pro swim workouts practice that my athletes have not enjoyed. So get on that. I will be back next week with a new topic. If you have requests for topics or you're interested in being on the podcast, exciting, uh, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at coach underscore Sarah Mack. That's coach underscore S-A-R-A-H-M-A-C. I will see you or hear you next week.